It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, with the USADA blood test to my TJ Dillashaw, my co-host, Nick Braccia. How are you, my friend? Oh! <laughs> what what is that? I'm I'm a new creature, man. I just got I got I got my blood my blood washed and swapped out. Ready for um, the big fight. Ready for the big fight this weekend. Feeling like a new man. Yeah, Nick, I'm definitely excited about this one. I think it's a lot more exciting, or I should say a lot more name value at a UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Dillashaw than from last week's event, which we're going to talk about before we get on to the preview for that one. Um, Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw, I think like this one's got a particularly fascinating dynamic, right? We started this podcast, you and I, covering a uh, UFC card main evented by TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo, right? After which... Yeah, I believe I'm almost positive that was our first event. After which TJ was suspended for two years because EPO was found in his blood. Now TJ's backed after a long suspension. Um, and we're still kicking, first of all. The fact that we made it to this point, shocker, Nick. Did not see that shit coming. I honestly expected, like, I'm not surprised. I expected three episodes, and then you're going to be like, I can't do this with you, Stan. I'm going off on my own. Why? And you didn't. That means something to me. No, instead, you're the one who wonders every week, why am I doing this with you? I should go off on my own. <laughs> what the hell am I going to do on my own, Nick? Do you think I people want to... need a foil. You need a foil, and I'm a good I foil. I need a foil. You are, and you're more than a good foil. Yeah, you, yeah, you stretch me over leftovers, baby. That's the kind of foil <laughs> I am. Boo, dad jokes left and right. <laughs> oh, that, Stan, that's... I got to tell you, what I can see Stan now in the video, Stan's still tanned from his trip to Florida because he lives oh, large. Yeah taking vacations, flying all around the world. I went to visit my mom. Alligator shoes, limousines, in jet planes. Fort Lauderdale, Nick. Woo! <laughs> See, you're in you and my friend are test, giving me too much credit. Tube shots, <laughs> helping girls get through college. Wait, nope, that's not what you were doing. <laughs> no, that, that would be actually be a Florida congressman. Uh, nice. but close enough. Nick, here's the fascinating thing. That card in which TJ Dillashaw lost to Henry Cejudo, got suspended, Gone for two years, right? On that same card, Corey Sanhagen picked up the second win of his UFC career. Back then, Sanhagen was like ranked number 153 of banterweights, right? TJ Dillashaw was literally number one. He was the champion. Now, Corey is the one ranked above TJ. Um, and I think that is one of the more fascinating aspects. Corey going into this fight being the favorite over the guy that going in, like literally the last time that he competed until he was stripped was the champion in this division. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited for this one, man. Oh, that's wild. And P- Paige Van Zandt, Rachel Ostevich is on that card too, and they're fighting this weekend in bare, in bare knuckle boxing. I guess the relevance of this weekend is one thing, but um, I guess I'm glad you're supporting another combat sport so I'm, I'm cool with that nick to our dozens and dozens of listeners now oh, the ratings I, are going to literally I double i don't really pay much attention to uh yeah me neither they, they do have some names that I, I just don't love the i don't know i don't love the concept i've, I've given it no, a I shot early on in the process uh, i'm not i'm not insane about it I, I do love a good boxing game and and the brawl once in a while is okay but fucking the cuts on these people's faces when they're going through a tough one is insane in any case um we have UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Dillashaw to break down for you all in the next segment, right? We've got Aspen Lad going against 
Macy Chazon, Kyler Phillips coming back against the prospect at 125 is coming up. Julian Paiva. Uh, we've got Macy Barber, Miranda Maverick on this one, right? Jordan Williams, Mickey Gall should be fun. Brendan Allen, Punahele Soriano, super excited for that one. Uh, there's a bunch of like real prospects that are on this card, right? The last card was almost like a you all are coming off of a loss, and so we're going to match you up and see who gets to stay in the UFC. This card is very different for the most part, right? This card is filled with a bunch of either familiar names that fell just short of prospecthood recently or some serious, serious prospects. And we're going to figure out, I think, like we're going to end up with about half the prospects walking uh, into, uh, I should say, post-Saturday than walking into this event. So this should be fascinating, man. I'm super psyched for it. I'm going to be at Sopranos Con, but I've got to figure out a way to watch it. I'm going there to pimp my book to host some panels to run trivia down in Atlantic City at Harrah's that's off the back of a truck contraband for the Sopranos band by Nick Baraccia and some friends about uh, from Simon & Schuster's Tiller Press available at Amazon Barnes & Nobles and fine book retailers near you the book is really good, especially if you're a Sopranos fan. There's all kinds of background information as to like how the show's portrayal of an aspect, whether it be literally things falling off the back of a truck, right? Just just that entire concept is kind of uh, delved into and what the real-life version of it is. Nick, uh, I love it. I'm excited that you're promoting the book. Uh, I'm excited that, that I'm getting to host this podcast with a fucking author. Arguably, New York Times t- Top 10. Short-range Top- feature. Yeah, I'm higher. I'm 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 ranked higher than Connor is. It's Are you really in the UFC? Yeah, I'm ranked Connor. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. No, that's that's anyway. That was <laughs> that's just, that was an aside just because I won't be able to probably watch the fight live. But I'm really really excited. But we need we need to talk about the B side to the show though, which is recapping whatever that was that was on TV last Saturday night. Hey, it was actually Nick. There were like eight finishes out of ten fights, right? You can't really complain about that. It was a pretty good night of fights. It was just not a lot of main value. So let's get into it. What were your thoughts on the main event between Islam Makhachev and Tiago Moises? I thought it was good. I mean, I thought I thought Makhachev fought well. I thought that Moises would come out cracking more and take a bit more and, and just take a, a bit more risks, um, you know, on the stand up. I thought he would put his punches together better, but he allowed himself uh, to get cornered, to get cut off. I think he was. I think he put himself at a psychological disadvantage entering the cage around fear of that uh, takedown, and he just felt like a defensive fighter all night, um, even when there were opportunities for offense. I don't know if he could ever win that fight. I think probably nine and a half out of ten times, uh, Mahajev uh, wins that fight. But I think it would have proved his Mahajev's ready. He's just ready for a higher level. He's ready for a higher level fight. That's it. I mean, he's been ready for that higher level fight. People talk about him as if he's earned the highest level fight. But yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It's time for a step up. This is the logjam at 155 that I always talk about. Yeah, I mean, the, so what's the right fight for him? For Makhachev? I mean, I would say it's anybody in that top 10. Like, to be fair, like, I don't love that he's calling out a bunch of people that are on losing streaks or that do really badly against suffocating wrestlers, right? He's, he's being kind of very selective with Rafael Dos Anjos. Oh, Dan, like Dan, oh, Dan Hooker and RDA. Yeah, I think he can win both of those fights. I mean, he's current. Well, I'm look. I'm not looking at the UFC rankings. I'm looking at ranking MMA because I feel like that's a bit more honest. Um, I, you know, you know, it would be, you know, it would be interesting uh, to me. I mean, strange style matchup. I've got to see what he what what he has next. But what about Gillespie? Uh, I'm I'm into the matchup, but this doesn't really solve the issue of Makachev 
just because he's so close to Khabib and Khabib says good things about him, essentially being considered, how the fuck did he get to number four? Well, By I know, beating that's Moises? what I'm saying. If he's not, I mean... You know, you know what I'm saying? So he, he needs to like yeah. earn that spot by actually fighting, I think, somebody that's pretty deep in that top five, if that's what he's trying to talk about. And don't talk to me about fucking Tony Ferguson. We all know how that fight's going to go. You're yeah, like, oh, do you want to... Right? But Gaethje doesn't want that fight. I mean... I guess Darius is interesting. Nobody wants that fight. That's really the issue, right? And and that's the repeating element at this in this division. Poirier doesn't want uh, most of their fights because he wants to have the big payday against McGregor. Hard to blame him wanting to provide for his family. Justin Gaethje realizes that he doesn't want to go into two losses in a row against basically the same team who knows who know exactly where he's weak, and and that's where they're strong. And so he wants to pick up a win, I think, before he's ballsy enough to go up against somebody that stylistically doesn't look great for him, right? Darius just entered this range by beating a way past his prime, uh, prime Tony Ferguson. Maybe Darius is the guy. Chandler. Islam Makachev, Michael Chandler, Nick, number four versus number five. Neither of these guys deserve to be this high. It makes zero sense, but here Ch- they are. Yeah, Chandler wants Gagey, though, and I think Gagey takes that fight. I could certainly see Gagey taking that fight. I think it. Uh, I think it's a winnable fight for him, especially compared to Islam. And Chandler, by the way, I don't know if you heard, Islam called Chandler out as Chandler was working the desk at ESPN, and they were doing a post-event interview with Islam. And Yeah, and- Chandler was very classy, wasn't he? Classy, yes. He's always really solid. He knows exactly how to answer even a very difficult question. But you just got called out and you bent over backwards to avoid saying anything like, yes, that would interest me. That was also clear to me. And I get it. Also, a guy who's coming off of a loss who, you know, the next fight could could decide whether he's going to be just, you know, a journeyman or... or... I mean, Chandler Gagey is a money fight on a big pay-per-view. I mean, Chandler Gagey puts asses in seats, I think. People like to yeah, see. As, a, as a co-main event, I hope it's five rounds, Nick. I would, I would love for that fight yeah. to be five rounds. Not that it's going to go that far, realistically, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, look, uh, you you made a great point about Makachev um, being able to back up Moises. Moises, it, it, like automatically, puts his back all the way to the fence. And even in his win over Bobby Green, he spent a lot of that fight on, with his back to the fence countering. And Islam Makachev and Tiago both look pretty sharp standing, considering they're both to start with grapplers, right? But Almost nothing was landing standing. Like their de- both their defense was pretty spot on. Uh, their offense looked good, but it wasn't landing because of the other guy's defense. So, you know, it, it didn't turn out to be a, a much of a firefight, but a lot of technique showed, which I can appreciate from two grapplers. Here's the thing about Moises, right? He was able to get a double like takeout takedown against Mahashev. Um, I think the only other person in the UFC to take down Mahashev may have been Armand Saryukan. Like that is very impressive for a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Moises is 26 years old. He's just starting his career, Nick. Like he has, if he keeps improving at the rate that he's currently improving, if his gas tank is becomes through the roof, if if there are no heart issues, I think he could he could very well still be a, a kind of mainstay top five, top six guy. Yeah, I think he's I think he's good. I like him. Yeah, just real quick, the mistake that Moises made was when he did get that takedown, he jumped on um, Makhachev, kind of started getting up, and and so he was on all fours for a second. Tiago Moises literally like jumped over his back and lost top position by trying to take his back. And Makhachev then again, then of course took his back and held it because position is number one for him, right? He's, he's very much on the safe side when it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, when it comes to his grappling, when it comes to anything really is striking. Whereas Moises is more of a risk taker. Yeah, but you know, those, the Brazilian boys, you can take the boy out of Rio. You can't take the Rio out of the boy. 
Like, you're right. Although I don't think like Moises grew up in like. Uh, is he actually from uh, Rio de Janeiro? I don't think he like, I was, grew I was up just in the, saying, in the I was slums just or using anything. that, you know, colloquially to say that there, there's a lot, a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners are super aggressive. Sao Paulo, Brazil, Nick. It's the capital. Sao Paulo, Brazil. So. Uh, look, Moises is young. He's, he's going to be just fine. I think uh, people need to slow down on, on the hype train uh, over those number four and number five being Michael Chandler and Islam Makhachev. That's fucking insanity. That can make zero sense. Although we've got Ferguson and Dos Anjos and Dan Hooker right under them who are on losing streaks, right? And so the logjam remains, except some guys are sneaking through more from hype than anything else. Um, yeah, I, I would like to see that matchup against Michael Chandler. I know it won't happen, but I think that's what makes sense. Uh, I don't think Chandler will accept the fight. I think everybody's going to avoid him at all costs. He's, he's yeah. not, he, you know, he's just not a fun style matchup for anybody. Even if you're good against wrestlers, uh, there's, there's a good chance he's going to uh, manhandle you there. Yeah. I, I'd like to see Gillespie. I think, I think beating, Carlos Diego Fajaya. Where's Gillespie ranked, Nick, on your list? Uh, like 10, 11, 10. Okay. Top 10 is pretty good. I, th- I think that's reasonable. That's probably the, the highest ranked guy he will have ever fought. But I think style, stylistically, I think he's really interesting. It's like, oh, is your game plan going to work against a absolutely world-class wrestling machine? Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I really you am. You know? Like, what happens, what happens there? What happens if, if Moises could double leg and what happens when... Gregor Valls Gillespie shoots that, you know, and ch- and chain, uh, you know, chain wrestles him from the double to the sink. I I think that's a da- I think that's a really risky would be a risky ballsy fight for Makachev to take. Um, I don't know how ballsy it would be. I uh, on paper I would not be shocked if Makachev got a takedown or so against Gillespie. And the difference is that when Gillespie gets it, I don't know if he can control Makachev. I think Makachev can control Gillespie if he does get him down. It's a bigger F than the other way around, though. I get that. Mm. What are your thoughts, Nick, on the co-main event? Misha Tate made her long-awaited return. I think she was like your number one pick, so you were real confident in her, and for good reason, as we saw in this matchup against an yeah. 0-4 in her last four fights. I mean, physically, she looks so, – it's amazing because, I mean, Misha Tate in her 20s, right, because we saw her in strike force in the UFC in her 20s, was – she was a specimen. She was a, a terrific competitor who beat almost everybody. She was tough as nails. She took the title from Holly Holm right after Holly got it from Ronda and had become, you know, had her, her moment in the sun. And looking at the physical condition that she's in after having two children and like starting a business and getting and being in a new relationship, she she, I mean, she really looks like an Uber athlete now compared uh, to previously, and she looked terrific before. I think um, everything she did spoke to her being an adult. Like the way she, everything she said before the fights, the way that she paced herself and and, and worked towards the finish um, in the fight, uh, the way that she kind of uh, called kind of called her shots and set things up appropriately. She didn't rush anything. Um, she didn't really take any serious damage. I saw her, she got clipped. I saw her get clipped good. I guess once. Um, I, the thing that I can't tell, and Renault's a you know Renault's a good competitor, but I can't tell what the ceiling on thirty four year old Misha Tate is. I can't. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that even watching that performance that Amanda Nunes is shaking. She might be excited because that's a that's a name at least. There's a payday there. 
for her that could be bigger because uh, Misha's popular uh, and well-liked and has the heritage of those Ronda fights and the home fight and, be, and headlining UFC 200 um, alongside Nunes. So the rematch story. Um, there's a good narrative there. So there's money for Nunes to make. But what's, you know, I, we have to see. There's at least two more fights before she gets there. One of the, the, I don't know who the next fight should be exactly. Maybe, I would, you know what I would do? She retired off of a loss to Rocky Pennington, where she, where Misha looked like shit. Go and get that win back. Then go and, and beat Holly Holm again. Then I think you can fight Amanda Nunes. Nick, do you see Raquel Pennington in the top 10 ranking? Uh, you mean, are you asking me or am I looking at the, am I looking at the, the... Oh, in, in your rankings? Cause I don't know if I'm missing something, but I don't, I'm not seeing her here on the UFC website. Um, is she on a huge losing? Am I missing something? That's weird. Cause she, I would think that she'd be ranked higher than Sajara Eubanks. I don't know. Maybe right. she's off higher an activity of or girls. something. Yeah. She just came off a win over Marion Renault and that was good enough to get Misha Tate into the top 10. Am I missing something here? I, I don't know, man. Um, Anyway, she's tight with Juliana Pena. I don't think she's going to fight her. Excuse me. I mean, it could be, you know what? Maybe give her Irene Aldana. Like, Aldana is, yeah. is very, very good, but still not very well known. And either way, you're getting a – you continue to build Misha Tate towards a big money fight or you make a, make a bigger star out of Aldana. I think that's I interesting. Yeah, I think I think that's a good call. I think that's the one to go with, uh, unless you want to look down the rankings at someone like Sarah McMahon. But yeah, I, I would say Rocky Pennington or that matchup works. I think as far as the rankings are concerned, you'd probably prefer to fight uh, somebody like Aldana, who's at number four at the moment. So if she wants a quick rise up there, Aldana's a good matchup. I do think Misha's going to be selective with her opponents. I think there's a good reason she fought this opponent in her UFC debut. I think you know Dana and, and the UFC are taking care of her a little bit. So... Wouldn't be surprised if they give her somebody pretty beatable who has a little bit of a name, a little bit of a, a streak, like a, almost a Mike Perry of this division, whom I cannot currently think of. But maybe a Sajara Eubanks, if, depending on her result of this weekend. Sajara is a tough fight. Uh, I think it's a tough fight for Misha. Although Sajara is cutting down to 125 for this fight, I believe, mm. which means as long as it's a successful cut, presumably she should stay there, right? Yeah. So depending on if Sajara can pick up a win, maybe her. And honestly, even after a loss, Sajara could uh, Sajara could take that matchup. I mean, there's not a lot. Like, I think I think in the next eighteen months, we'll see the we're likely to see Misha Amanda Nunes at at, at um at one thirty five. It's just that there's not a lot of interesting fights for Nunes anymore. I guess there's people coming up, Aldana Vieira, but like. They're not. They're interesting for fans, I suppose, but nobody knows who they are. By the way, like a million people tuned in for the last hour of the show, and I tend to think it wasn't the main event that did it. So I doubt Mahachev was like a fucking big star. So I tend to think like Misha Tate probably has some name value. No, it was Misha Tate. Misha Tate's a draw. Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe it. She she's got a name at this point. So maybe that's the fight for Aldana, right? It's a win-win for the UFC. Aldana picks up a win over an established name. Um, she can move on to the title shot. Amanda Nunes has an opponent. If Misha Tate can get a win over her, 
then she's right back in the mix in the top four, and she can challenge for that title as well. So it's a it's kind of a win-win situation, I think, for all of the above. I'm into the matchup, Nick. Uh, let's quickly breeze through this one. Mateus Gamro, just excellent. Kimura, man. Oh, yeah. This is very satisfying. Very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, especially for you. Uh, uh, Stevens basically got taken down, went for the Kimura, uh, the Kimura grip when your opponent kind of has his arms around your waist. And Gamro basically broke out of half guard, spun over the way that Matt Hughes did against George St. Pierre in their first fight years ago. For those of you that are, uh, that remember that one, except he he kind of put uh, he kind of settled in with his crotch over uh, Jeremy Stevens' head and and locked in his own Kimura. It was it was beautifully done, man. It was like early on the fight, sweat wasn't even much of a factor presumably yet, right? But Jeremy Stevens was strong and like like fresh. You would think he would get out of that if only by exploding. Good work by uh, Gamro, who's nineteen and one now. Then we had um, Rodolfo Vieira did not look so good for the first two rounds, kind of getting pieced up and looking awkward against Dustin uh, Stolfutz, even though some of the ju- so a lot of people online, I think the judges were scoring those early rounds for Vieira. They were just not very pretty or entertaining. And then finally, uh, you know, his gas tank held up and he got the sub in the third round uh, quite quickly when he went for it. But it, just a man who does not yet look comfortable in the octagon in his mid-30s. I, I believe he's in his mid-30s. Um, yeah, I believe you're right. I don't. I oh, 31. He's not that old, but I, I. I don't know. I'm not sure if we're going to see him get particularly comfortable uh, and make any real noise in the middleweight division. Uh, then we had the fight of the, the the fight of the night, which I picked correctly. Yes, you did. And it should have been. An, it should have been a two point underdog. No, it shouldn't have. You were a dick about Gr- DraftKings corrected it almost like immediately after the show. I'm serious. Yeah, anyway, so Billy <laughs> Quartz, but I will say it didn't go the way that I thought it would, which I think you and I both thought that Benitez would be strong early and Quarantillo yeah. just, and then, and Quarantillo actually took it to him for two rounds and then maybe punched himself out a little bit and took, uh, took the most damage that he took in the fight in the third round. Yes. Got sat on his ass and then went on to finish that round, Nick. Yeah. I mean, he was, kids got it. He was very, very exciting fighter. You get the sense you understand why other fighters up at his gym are big on him. And Benitez right. is good and tough. He just like, didn't, uh, yeah, he didn't have it. He didn't have an answer for the pressure. Like, uh, and I thought, yeah, I thought he was going to walk down Quarantillo in the first round and we didn't see it. So good on Quarantillo. Uh, he's going to get, a, I think he's going to get a real, he earned himself a real exciting fight, um, at 145. Is he going to get a ranked guy? Would you give him a top tenner? I don't know about top 10, but top 15. How about Shane Burgos? If, if he's not scheduled, even if he's scheduled, maybe the fight after Shane Burgos, because this division is fucking stacked, Nick, at the bottom half of that top 15. I would I would put him with Tapuria. Um, I mean, that's just a death sentence, but fair enough. Tapuria's a nasty motherfucker, Nikolai. I can't wait for you to pick Billy and for me to pick Tapuria again. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would pick I would pick Billy in that fight. But if I'm Billy and I want to make waves, that's the I mean, that's the one. I mean, Burgos is a little interesting. I think Evolev is in a fight. I think Sadiq Yusef is already booked. I mean, Bryce Mitchell. Also, I, I do have to tell you, Nick, Taporia has the same kind of rep as Makhachev does at 155, where nobody at the top wants to fight him. The reason he settled on Ryan Hall is because Ryan Hall's got a little bit of notoriety, and Hall agreed. Like, nobody wants to fight other either of those guys in this division. So uh, Billy Quarantillo is a ballsy dude. I, I think he'll take any fight, so that could be interesting. Billy, but here's a, a bar, absolute barn burner co-main event, and maybe this could even head a, be a five rounder. Would be Billy Quarantillo, Bryce yep. Mitchell. 
I'm so into that. Uh, Nikolai, Daniel Rodriguez uh, beat up Preston Parsons. Basically what we expected. Parsons took it on short notice. Rodriguez. Cool. Is... Yeah, that was like, that was a play. That was a playground ass kicking right there. Similar to the playground ass kicking that Amanda, uh, Amanda Lemos gave Montserrat Luis. That was Nick. It wasn't even an ass kicking. It was just shut her off. Wow. I thought they, I actually thought they stopped it too soon, but uh, maybe uh, the argument could be made, but man, I don't, I don't think the outcome would be, I don't think the outcome would have been any different. I just thought, I thought that she was still with it and getting up. Yeah, no, likely based on what we saw. Um, but you know, yeah, uh, possibly it's it's entirely possible. But man, given the 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 level, the difference in level of speed, explosiveness, striking technique, um, I mean, look, Reese just needed a takedown, right? But Lemos is a monster. She made a statement, and I'm so excited. Like I talked about her, she was my first pick for good reason. Next, she is. She's a beast. I picked her before I picked Mahachev. That's how confident I was in her. Uh, and then we've got Sergey Morozov, who beat Kalataha. Good decision. Just, you know, uh, solid fundamentals. Shut down Kalitaha's game effectively and, and look good. Malcolm Gordon, who, man, like with his back to the wall, about to lose his job in the UFC, just waded through a couple of, you know, dicey moments early on and ended up beating Francisco Figueredo, who has a gas tank of a goldfish and then uh rodrigo nascimento real quick uh beat alan badeau basically had a really hard time early couldn't take him down right badeau was just piecing him up standing and then nascimento just turned the fucking pressure on in the second round man just put it on him made sure that everything badeau threw that he would get uh an answer harder and faster and it was fantastic i'm so impressed by this guy uh what did you think of these last couple fights bud yeah i picked the only fight i I didn't pick correctly was francisco figueredo um so that bummed me out, but I was happy for Malcolm Gordon. I mean, he really, that guy was, had a lot of conviction uh, in there, uh, and he fought like a man who was fighting for his life. So I, all the credit to, to Malcolm Gordon, and I don't really have anything to add to Nascimento. It was, yeah, he didn't quite look like he knew what the hell he was doing in the first round, but then but they managed to figure it out. Yeah, no, no joke. It was it was some good coaching, I think, by uh, his American top team corner. I think the next fight for Limo should be Zanderoba. Uh, I'm into it, Nick. Sign her up, especially uh, like a John Drobe was probably in the top five or six. No, she's thir- she's thirteen. What? For some reason, Nina Nina Nunez, aka Nina Ansaroff, is seven. I don't remember the last time I saw her have like anything close to a dominant victory. It, it is kind of silly, especially considering the way her last fight went. But um, I mean, Mackenzie Dern is tied at number five. I've never seen that before with Marina Rodriguez. December 2018 for, for winning a decision against Gadea, which I remember thinking Gadea should have won, but maybe I'm wrong there. And she's ranked number seven. I don't get it. Gadea, I see her ranked at number eight. But yeah, she she has not looked good in a long time. That that girl does not belong uh, as high ranked as that at this point in her USC career. She's a fraction of her former self. Nick, let's take a break. We've got an even bigger card to break down. UFC Fight Night, Sanhagen versus Dillashaw. Coming at you from the UFC Apex this Saturday night. Let's take a break. By the way, Nikolai starts at 4 p.m. Just just a quick word out there for all you fools that are trying to get home after dinner and thinking you're going to catch the prelims. It's not going to work out that way. Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level podcast, and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft. This is a competition in which Nick and I take turns picking fighters that are competing on the upcoming card. At the end of Saturday night, we tally up the points and see where we are. I currently stand at five points ahead of Nick. Uh, 70, I'm sorry, it's four and a half points ahead of Nick. 
75 points for me, 70.5 for you, Nikolai. We each scored five points at the last event, so so a, a draw, a tie in a way there. I'm about four and a half fights ahead of you. You keep closing the gap, Nick. Good for you, buddy. Coming, man. I always do. I think oh. I'm going to get you this season. This, I think this extra, this two-pointer thing is going gonna, is gonna to help me in the long run. Anyway, my first pick of the night. I don't see a lot of... Uh, I don't see a lot of dogs at the plus 150 or more that I want to play around with too much. Uh, just looking at this, I'm going to start with a heavy, heavy favorite. Uh, not the biggest favorite on the card, but close. Uh, I like Kyler, the, uh, the Matrix Phillips, uh, who is a, uh, just seems like a, a, a bigger, stronger, more filled out um, 135-er than... Haulian uh, Pavia, who fought at, at 125 a bit before moving up and having a couple of wins. Um, good fighter. I just think that, like, you look at his fights against Cameron Else and Yadong Song, and it's really hard to come up with anything negative to say about Kyler Phillips' game, um, even though, you know, a couple of years ago, two-plus years ago, he had oh, he had a loss on, in, on uh, Tough, um, against Katona, and then he lost his split decision out of the UFC. But since he's been back in the UFC for for three fights, he's, just, he's looked fantastic. Like I mean, he looks like the real deal. He looks as he's getting to the point where he nearly looks as smooth as Garbarand. It got when Garbarand was like, you know, the next level guy. Um, and I don't think that I don't think that uh, you know a guy moving up from flyweight who's good, um, but I don't think. I just don't think he's near um, as tight and technical and creative uh, in his offensive output and attack. Yeah, uh, Phillips is like super crafty, very technical, considering the fact that he's only like 10 fights into his pro career. Trains at the MMA lab under John Krause. He's kind of comfortable blitzing forward, right? Like he doesn't pressure much. Um, and then when he's not doing that, he's kind of on the back foot using his footwork to set up counters. As long as you're aggressive, yes. he's going to land back on you. And he's solid there. Um, and his footwork, again, is the quality of his footwork is what allows him to not only do that, not only stay out of danger, but cut into angles and hit you without getting hit back. He likes to get the last word, too. Like, if you just finished an exchange with him and you landed something, he's going to get aggressive immediately after. I could see that costing him against uh, just a more crafty kind of top-level opponent. Goes for takedowns consistently with 90 seconds left in every fight. In every round, I should say. It's like it's like clockwork. You can guarantee that between uh, 130 and 115 left in that round, he's going to go for a takedown. He's probably going to land it. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt, actually, from Carlson Gracie. I don't love that he kind of is comfortable just laying on his back at times. If somebody gets top position, like he's not urgently trying to get up. He's trying to set up submissions. Don't love that. And uh, is actually a really well-rounded guy. I liked him a lot at 125. I, I, I saw him very much as a prospect. I don't love this matchup with these two prospects that I'm really kind of favoring. Um, because Paiva's a smaller guy, I, I'll pick Phillips. I think Phillips is a little craftier, a little bigger, but Paiva's going to have a speed advantage. And he's not a small guy uh, for 125, so he's going to fill out okay at 135 long-term. Um, I, I agree with you on the Phillips, Phillips pick, Nikolai. Um, my first pick, I guess I'm going to go with Sajiro Eubanks and Elise Reed, that matchup. Eubanks is coming back down to 125 for the first time in years. She's kind of a powerful striker without much depth to her stand-up, but she's an excellent grappler. 
gas tank isn't great at 135. Uh, Reed went 7-1 and one as an amateur, 4-0 as a pro going into her UFC debut. She's a pretty sharp striker, solid jab, but lacks the takedown defense you'll want in a top fighter with a uh, striking-focused game plan. This match probably depends more on Eubanks' cut to 125 than anything else. Like, she couldn't make that weight back in the day. She's older now. She's never really showed true discipline, so I'm not sure how she's going to do it now. She does a right she should win since she's significantly bigger, more experienced, obviously, at a high level, but she's not disciplined, so I'm not confident. Since Reed took this um, on short notice and has to come up a division from 115 to 125 and used to fight at 105 pounds just two fights ago, right? I'm picking Eubanks for that reason. I think she'll be the bigger, stronger girl, and uh, even though Reed can look really good in that third round as Eubanks is tired, I could also see Eubanks locking in a submission in the first round. Yeah, I, I think that you're. I think that you're probably right. But this is between the weight and I think that Eubanks got hit with the domestic, or there was an accusation recent since her last fight. There was like, an accusation, yeah. Yeah, I just I wonder where her head's at. She's True. had major problems with weight cuts before, True. um, and she's going down. I'll kind of be surprised if this fight happens, um, to be honest. Interesting. But but if it does, and if it does. It's but it's the size. But the size is is a real issue. Five three, sixty one inch reach. Um. Yeah, it's well, just good. Height wise, they're not far apart, but no, they're, they're not. But, but thickness, like so, yeah, she's a, so Jar Eubanks is a tank, and she's gonna That's have a, a half, she's gonna have a half a foot of reach. Absolutely, um, they, Nick. So, they fought thirty pounds apart just two fights ago. Yeah, one hundred five. But, I, but, I, but the the weight's a real issue, and if it, if if I mean as, as tiny as she is, if Eubanks comes in heavy for this, Reed's coaches should not let her take that fight. I agree with you, and you're right. There's actually a fair chance that either Eubanks is so bad from the weight cut that she doesn't make it to the fight, or Reed's uh, corner who uh, Reed's coaches who like got her into the UFC. Right, what counts is happening. Uh, I wonder if they're going to risk not taking the fight though if Eubanks doesn't make weight, mm. like. You know, when you volunteer like that, um, it, it is risky. Uh, they have a great argument to make. Like, look, my fighter wanted to take this fight, but I wouldn't let her. She fought at 105 just a couple of months ago. This girl couldn't make 125. Well, I mean, they probably they, I feel like they should have said, like, listen, Eubanks has to make 125, or, or, or that's the only way we're going to take this, just so you know. We're, but who knows? Who knows? If what you're trying said. to make it into just... the UFC, you probably don't give them ultimatums like that. But, uh, but like, you know, that's something you can say at the weigh-in, man. And I don't think it's unreasonable. Although they will give her a rough matchup next if she does do that. Uh, what's your yeah. next pick, buddy? Oh, it's my. It's already my pick again. It's <laughs> wild how that how that works. I'm gonna go with Julio Ars over Andre Yule. I've picked Yule before, and it's really bitten me in the ass. Um, I just don't. I don't think he's got. Um, oh crap! I closed topology. I don't think he's got the discipline to win fights against solid competition. And, you know, Ars is 16 and four. Uh, he lost, you know, he lost a close fight to Hakeem Duadu, who's for real. Um, and he beat Juliana Rosa, who I also think is pretty real. Um, so, and he's got a win a couple of years ago over Dan Ige. So I just think, uh, yeah, that's kind of fighting out of Tiger Shulman, uh, which is a good, you know, which is a good camp. I just, um, yeah, I thought you all had a spirited, a spirited output against Gutierrez and anyone that's put decision questionable ones over Rivera and Martinez. I, I just think in the matchup that that Julio is going to probably more disciplined uh, over three rounds, and that you will, as he always does, will find himself in uh, poor positions of his own making. 
Yeah, um, that's the thing is that Ewell is a really sharp boxer. He's tall for the division, right? Um, but he's not the same in round three if there's some resistance as he was in round one, right? He tends to taper down and, and slow down a little bit over the course of a, of a kind of a hard fight. Ours is like really well-rounded, right? He has a really good ground game, really good striking. And not only is he well-rounded in the MMA sense, but in his stand-up sense, right? He, he has solid kicks, um, really solid boxing. He's not going to be as fast, right? He's not going to be as sharp with his hands early um, as is you will, but he's going to be consistent. He's going to go at the same pace late in the fight as he is early on. Uh, look, I, I see all the makings of this being a really close fight. By the way, Ars is coming back down to 135 for the first time in years. So the weight cut there is interesting as well. Um, I, I, I think, uh, again, I think he's going to stay consistent. He's got the more well-rounded skill set, not only standing, but uh, but as well as his ground game advantage. Just to get his takedowns too. So I can see him taking over uh, after that first round after you all looks pretty good early. I'm in agreement with you there. My next pick is going to be, I'm, I guess I'm going to pick in the Adrian Yanez randy Costa matchup. These are both kind of prospects, right? Both guys have two knockouts apiece in the UFC with Randy Costa actually picking up a loss in his UFC debut. I don't know if it's not that he, it's that he wasn't ready, but it was on the ground to a striker, which is maybe not the best of signs, but Yanez, super fast, really sharp boxer. He likes to pressure forward and wait for you to throw something. Uh, pretty classic pressure fighter, right? He just literally purely only fakes unless you are uh, coming at him. Usually likes to back you up against that fence. And when you throw, he's going to counter immediately at the moment you're throwing, not after. He's not, he doesn't slip and counter. He slips and counters at the same time. And it works really well because his opponent is leaning into his right hand. And that's his kind of nasty power punch. Also has a good head kick. Um... I Costa is like sloppy, right? He's extremely aggressive and sloppy. Doesn't necessarily have the gas tank to keep going. And that's how he lost that fight uh, uh, to Brandon Davis. I think it was in his UFC debut where he, he gassed out in the first round after dominating standing. He's aggressive. He's tall, hits extremely hard. And that's really the big key here. I think part of this matchup will depend on Yanez's chin and defense. His defense is solid. His, his head movement solid, but can he take a couple of clean cracks early against Costa? That's what's going to decide whether or not he can kind of just take over and run game on Costa. Costa has switched from Lausanne MMA, though, to uh, Sanford MMA, which I think is going to be really good for his maturity and skill set as a fighter. So you're ultimately going with Giannis here? Yes. Yeah, I'm excited for this fight. Me too. Uh, this is going to be a, a I, banger. I tend to agree with you, but I'm pretty high on Costa. Um. Next pick. Huh. Look at these fights. <laughs> what to do, what to do. It is I... all tight from here, even though some of the odds are further apart than they should be, in my opinion. Huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with even though he doesn't he doesn't cut weight, uh he might be a little small in this fight. Um I'm gonna go with Jordan Williams to defeat Mickey Gall. Uh Gall's he's long and he's crafty. Um, he doesn't he doesn't strike me as particularly strong. And I can under I understand why Gall has success against neophytes like CM Punk and uh the spiky Mike blonde Jackson. kid and spiky and Mike Jackson and Sage, spiky blonde Sage kid. North and Sage North, thank you. And Sage Northcutt. But Jordan Williams has been in there with some tough dudes like Nasruddin and Mabov, who's on this cart. Um yeah. I just think that I think that Williams uh can dance with a higher level of competition. I think we've seen Gall get a little tired. He's not absurdly athletic. He doesn't have uh, a lot of pop uh, in his punches. And even though I think that his size is going to 
limit his his upside. Uh, I think I think Jordan Williams is just a, a more well-rounded fighter, and I don't I don't think he's going to get nervous or panic under the pressure of Mickey Gall's very good jujitsu. I just think I think Jordan's a, is is beyond that level of. Uh, I'm not saying he's a better jujitsu practitioner. I'm saying that I think Williams is. I don't think the level and the strength and the kinds of setups that Mickey Gall has are the sorts of things that Jordan Williams is going to fall for, and are going to uh, you know wrap him up. Yeah, I hear that. He seems to like he lost to Dwight Grant. He lost to Ramazan Kuramagomedov, who uh, let me see, who has who has since remained undefeated, right? Uh, and then his last loss was to Imavov, who's really legit. Good fight. Guy is no joke. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a pretty solid fight. Um, here's the thing about Williams. You were saying that because of type one diabetes, he doesn't cut weight. He is cutting weight for the first time, as far as I can tell, in his career. Neck coming down to 170 for this matchup. So that that diabetes and weight cutting situation. Oh, is he is partially this one. Yes, is partially. Right. I think what's going to decide this fight. I tend to think he's smart enough to get a nutritionist. I think he wants to keep his UFC job. He's an exciting fighter, got serious power in his hands. Mickey Gall doesn't have a bad chin, and he's a tough guy, but uh, he shouldn't have much for him standing. I'm not sure, like you said, I'm not sure that he's athletic and strong enough to take down Jordan Williams. He's pretty athletic, especially. I think as long as that wake up went well, he should be very strong in this matchup. So I'm in agreement with you, buddy. My next pick is going to be in the Aspen Lad Macy Chazon matchup, Nick. I like both these girls. They're prospects, in my opinion. I'm not entirely sure why Aspen Ladd is ranked as high as she is. I mean, it's maybe because 135 is pretty kind of weak division. Ladd uses kind of a swarming striking game to close the distance and get the clinch. The clinch then leads to the takedown. Once she's on top, she's got the nastiest, most relentless ground and pound. Um, just hitting nonstop. And it's not necessarily super powerful, but she screams with every shot. She goes, rah, 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 with every shot she throws. And the referee feels like he or she has no choice but to stop it. It's kind of fascinating. Like even when they're not that powerful, she can get a stop. It's just by yell punching. Um, her aggressiveness can lead to her losing top position against a crafty opponent, but then she rinses and repeats that process until her opponent can't take anymore, right? Like that pressure game is always going to pay off better late in the second in that third round than it is early on in the fight. Um, her win includes her wins include Sajari Eubanks twice, Lena Landsberg, Tony Eminger, Yana Kuninskaya, right? Pretty fucking solid names under your belt. And I get that she's number three, but should be more like number six or seven, in my opinion. Her only loss is to Jermaine Durandamy, who caught her with a heavy right hand early in a fight that arguably could have kept going. Like she kind of sat sat down on her butt and uh, Herb Dean stopped it. She's all will have the advantage of size, strength, and power in most matchups since she's like really big for 135. Um, got a prospect loss to Lena Landsberg in one of the few fights in which she looks pretty human. She has developed her game at 47 MMA. It's almost as if, like, as her skill set is increasing, as she's becoming more of a mature fighter, her power in her hands is not really there, there anymore, right? She used to be able to get rear naked chokes on girls, right, when she takes their backs. Not as much of a finisher lately, uh, but her pressure striking is coming along well. Um, I think this is a great matchup between two prospects. Lad has faced tougher competition, including the win over Landsberg, who's the one person who beat Shazan, right? I think last pressure will eventually wear on Shazan, who doesn't necessarily have the experience to handle that, uh, I think, at this point in her career. Shazan will need improved takedown defense and footwork in order to do well in this one. It's possible, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. I'm taking a lot in this one, but I'm hoping for a war that lends in a split decision where, like, neither girl loses any stock. Yeah, I think um, this is one of those fights where the thing that concerns me the most is strength. I just think I think Lad is I think Lad is stronger. I think that Chazan is technical and she's lanky and she's very very good, 
but lad, lad has a um her center just her center of gravity i think is and and her power are are going to be tough i i think that's gonna i think that's gonna count for something yes technique can beat strength but how many times have we seen roxy mount you know not super athletic execute like really really good technique and just not be able to overcome the strength of an opponent i think aston lads uh just a more powerful woman and that at this point in their careers that I don't know that Chazen's going to have the, is going to have the craft um, to work around that or be able to do anything uh, that intimidates or really, or really uh, concerns Lad. I could see Lad um, pow powering out of, um, you know, uh, what are they call, not bursting, but yeah, bursting out of bad, uh, exploding out of, out of bad positions should she get. I'm not sure I, I agree that um, Aspenland will be stronger than Shazan early. She sounds like pretty powerful, large woman for this weight division. Um, I tend to think Shazan will be stronger early, but then as Lad's pressure wears on her, that's when Lad will uh, seem like a much stronger fighter. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna. You're gonna be wrong, and we're gonna see that Lad's more powerful. Should we make this one aspect worth a point as to whether early on in the fight, when they're both fresh, as to whether Lad will be the like clearly stronger fighter? You mean like yeah, winning and clinching? So, I mean, it's so sub it's it's too subjective. No, I don't want to risk points on that. Fair enough. Um, What's your next pick? But I'm pick but I'm 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 picking Lad. Uh, yeah. we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go. Uh, main event here. I'm gonna pick Corey Sandhagen. Um, not just to beat, but to finish T.J. Dillashaw. Oh, talk to me. I mean, Dillashaw is no spring chicken. He took two years off. He's theoretically off the sauce. Um, Sanhagen is monstrous. Like the division, the div <coughs> divisions move on. And two years is a long time. Um, I think that Al 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 like TJ Dillashaw does not have Aljamain Sterling's size. I don't think TJ's a guy who was able to go down to 125. Corey Sanhagen looks like he could be a welterweight. I just think that uh, his strike, his striking is really, really good. He's got, uh, he's got good reach, and he's gonna be, he's gonna be ready for TJ's entries, and he's going to hurt him. He's gonna hurt him with elbows on TJ's entries. If TJ goes for those takedowns, it's gonna hurt him with knees, like he did uh, knocking Frankie Edgar unconscious. I, I think, um, and I don't think if TJ does get the takedown, he's gonna be able to hold him down. And I believe that fighting a uh, fighting a guy uh, with with the size and reach advantage is going to be able to keep TJ at I think at kicking range. He's going to be able to get him with the jab. I think I think Stan Hagen's got has got the tools to do this. I know they've trained together and they've sparred together before. And what I'm hearing is that is that I I think it's being implied that Stan Hagen gave him a real tough time in the gym uh, in Colorado years ago. So, I you know I don't know. We'll see what we'll see if Corey rises to the moment, because it really is. He's fighting a big star. He's fighting a former champion. He's fighting a guy coming back. Uh, he's one of the best to ever do it at 135. Who who I think deserved the decision against Dominic Cruz, who knocked out Cody Garbarone twice. Um, so Dillashaw's, you know, for all of the, his failures, he's a, uh, you know, he's no joke. So. I but I think I think it's his uh, I think this is the Sanhagen era. 
and that, that I don't think Dillashaw is going to have enough to reclaim the throne of his weight class. Yeah. Um, so TJ went back to his wrestling roots uh, when the matchup called for it, like against John Lineker. I think that would be his path to a win here. He's the better wrestler and should be solid enough from top position to stay safe and get some control. TJ thinks the threat of his wrestling will give him the advantage striking, but I don't think it will hold Sanhagen back. I feel like his mindset and style is just not like that. He's, he's the kind of guy that takes risks and goes forward. I do think TJ can get takedowns and try to control the scrambling of Corey. And, and that's the thing about Corey, right? He doesn't just lay on his back. He tends to scramble. He will land elbows. He will, he will make it a tough time for him, but TJ might just have the control to pull this off. In uh, interviews about previous training partners, and you've alluded to this, TJ spoke about how he was the better fighter in the gym than guys like Garbrandt and Faber. When speaking about training with Sanhagen, he mentions that he needed to bring him in since he needed more of a challenge uh, standing up since he was dominating his training partners, right? So clearly, as you alluded to, Sanhagen seems to have gotten the edge there, but Sanhagen has like a pretty, pretty wealthy kickboxing career prior to this. So them sparring only in the stand-up realm was one thing. So Sanhagen, super early in his career, pre-UFC, was doing well against TJ Dillashaw, the best in the world, or one of the best in the world standing up. That's a big, uh, that's a big factor, right? Sanhagen is six years younger, five inches taller, with a two-inch reach advantage. I think Sanhagen will be the better, more dangerous striker with better durability, but can Sanhagen stay on his feet against the former wrestler is the question, right? Sanhagen's going to move forward. TJ is going to need to drop levels and blast double leg. He should have it. San- Sanhagen doesn't have uh, the best takedown defense. He has a lot of heart when it comes to catching him in submissions. He will fight through everything. He will let you break his arm and work his way out of it before he gives in. Um, you know, that's why he had to get choked down conscious by Aljamain Sterling. But that's the thing is that will TJ continue to get those takedowns? I think the answer to these questions will decide the fight. Um, th- th- there's a couple things worth discussing also, right? There's TJ's EPO. Nick, he's the one UFC fighter in the history of the promotion that popped for EPO. Do you really think he was the only one? Do you think he's currently the only one using it? I don't know. I don't know enough about no fucking way. I don't know enough about USADA and about the risks of EPO versus and blood doping versus other things. Well, the, I mean, the risk of getting caught is much lower as we've seen with you know even the richest fighters getting caught with testosterone-related shit in their system versus EPO when it was one guy that got caught by EPO. Other team alpha male, uh, Cody Garbrandt, once said in a press conference because he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, Cody Garbrandt once said that he that TJ's the one who taught their whole team how to use performance-enhancing drugs. In the heat of like a, a press conference where he was about to fight TJ, he revealed this information. Right. So TJ has been using more than just EPO. I'm, I'm fairly confident in that, uh, probably throughout yeah. his career. But he's not the only one. A lot of guys are doing it, and hard to tell who is and who isn't. Um, I, I do think like USADA and all of these testing programs are always a step or two behind uh, the the cutting edge in, right. in performance enhancing technology, right? Because your job is to remove that one molecule or one what have you that is detectable in this product, and then replace it with something else if you're creating this product, right? And and they're constantly ahead of it because the only way to 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 get to it is you have to get access to it, you have to catch a fighter or get access to it in some way or other. Um, if you're USADA or something, you you figure out a way to test for it, and by then they will have already developed a different way to uh, to make to have that effect. So constantly behind a lot of fighters might be using it, but he's 35 and his reflexes will probably not have improved. Right. On top of that, he's coming off of a long layoff and he used to be a busy fighter. TJ, uh, used, used to be, um, he did have two years to recover. 
on imp- and focus on improving. By all accounts, it sounds like he stayed focused and in the gym. Uh, could be a much better version of his former self. I guess it's possible, even at 35. I'm picking Corey Sanhagen to catch TJ with something pretty after establishing his jab and having to get back up to his feet a few times. Um, TJ may have great wrestling, but his submission game is not as dangerous as uh, as Aljamain Sterling's. And I think that Sanhagen eventually will clip him. I will say this, though. I was going to pick this fight next, and because of our rules, with TJ Dillashaw at plus 160, there's value there. I would have picked TJ for two points. Interesting. My next pick is going to be... I'm going to pick Punahele Soriano, who is in a dead heap when it comes to the betting odds against Brendan Allen. Um, I, I think this really gets down to like a very simple stylistic matchup, and it seems to me like it's not in Brendan Allen's favor. Allen's a brilliant offensive grappler, right? He's a decent striker, but has like zero defense. Offensively solid. He's also a mediocre wrestler and usually relies on opponents going for takedowns to kind of reverse position and get a submission. He's recently switched to Sanford MMA under Henry Hooft, which is a good sign, right? He's facing these excellent defensive grapplers who can put some hands on you. That's a good sign for him. But I don't know that his uh, defense is going to improve a whole lot. Soriano is extremely athletic. He's a solid wrestler. Good boxing and insane power in his hands. He lands clean on anybody. They drop Nick. Uh, being hittable with the mediocre wrestling is a terrible set of uh, traits to have when facing uh, Punaele Soriano. So I'm picking Soriano. Um, but if Allen gets top position, he could easily just finish it right then and there. It's just I don't think he's going to get top position. He's going to really need to scramble. Betting-wise, I would recommend placing a bet on this one. I'm going with Ponahelio Soriano. I think I think there's some value given the style matchup. Allen could win it, but I think given these odds, you have to put some money down on Soriano. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with you there. I also he also ate a lot of. I mean, we're not yet a year removed from that Sean Strickland fight, and I know he's had a grappling fight and a fight against Carl Robertson that he won by submission since then, but he took a fucking slacking from Sean Strickland. Yeah, he did. And and Soriano has a lot more power, and Brendan Allen presumably is just as hittable. So yeah, um, although Brendan Allen is going to be the slightly taller guy here, which you know presumably will help offensively at least. What's your next pick, buddy? Um, I'm going to go with this is a tough one, but I'm going to I'm going to go with Miranda Maverick uh, to defeat Macy Barber. Um, I I like them both. I feel like um, Maverick has been a case of a, uh, a, you know, someone coming up in Invicta over the course of a couple of years, really pacing herself, uh, having the terrific fight against Jillian Robertson was a real challenge. She faced some adversity uh, in that fight. And how old is Maverick? Maverick is, she's 24. Like 24 or something, yeah. Yeah, so she's 24. And then Macy Barber, who is now 23, who came into the UFC, I think at 20, uh, and lost, you know, it was on a two-fight skid against Mataferi and the Alexa Grasso. And you saw her in the Grasso fight um, start to get comfortable, start to find herself. But she, you know, I think she was a little too, uh, a little too quick. She had, you know, wins against uh, against Hannah Cyphers, uh, definitely not a UFC caliber fighter as much as I liked her, and JJ Aldrich, and then beat Jillian Robertson herself. Uh, with just aggression, like ruthless aggression, but she, she, you know, against these veterans, she got, she got uh, thrown in the, the frying pan a little too quickly, and uh, had two, you know, two steps back. I really don't think that after after they gave her Roxy, that her next fight should have been Grosso. I think it should have been a, a substantial step back, and 
against Maverick now, you've got you've got a a rookie, a twenty four, you know, young fighter coming in at twenty four, who's been brought up, uh, I guess, kind of the right way against the right levels of competition, where she's got a, a, a good chance of victory to build her confidence. Coming up against a younger fighter who got in there, had terrific success, and then has had back to back defeats against uh, against veterans in the game. And uh, I just, I feel like, although Grasso is not all that old, she's only 27 herself. Um, I, I think that Miranda Maverick is a bit more, is a bit more disciplined, probably has um, better, stronger, and, and more uh, balanced grappling game. And I don't, I think that she's smart enough to avoid getting into Macy's style of fight which is a scrap which is a, a real you know a real brawl and i'm it's a it's a tricky i don't know that this is the right this is the opponent for for macy barber to get right against um so i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick miranda maverick i just think i just think that the momentum uh is in her favor and uh, i would have rather seen barber uh if they're looking to you know to bring her up not get matched against uh a surging rookie, even though previously I think I, I suggested this was a good idea. Um, I'd rather see Barber get matched up against kind of a, fa a fading veteran, um, just to just to like work on her game, work on her mental game, uh, work on awareness in the fight, work on not getting too emotional um, in the fight. She's just she's still green. It feels in a lot of ways, and I, I think Maverick's got a little bit of an edge there with poise, composure. What do you think? Yeah, um, the thing about Maverick is, offensively, she's like really talented everywhere with her striking, with her offensive wrestling, with her offensive grappling when she's on the ground. But her def defensive wrestling has looked pretty bad at times, like clean takedowns, almost no resistance. She did display some, um, like, like, again, her offensive striking looks dynamic, right? But she keeps her head right in the center line and regularly gets tagged by counters against like inferior opponents. So let's say your offensive game overall is great. Defensively, really lacking. Uh, Barber, like offensively standing, she's solid, man. She's strong, pretty good conditioning. Like you got to consider the level of competition that Barber's been fighting leading up to now. Um, I think Barber will be able to tag Maverick standing. Barber should also be able to get takedowns, honestly, if she wants them. But will she keep it together and execute, as you alluded to, about her maturity? That I'm not sure about. Um, I'll pick Barber for the fun of it, but I'll stick with Maverick. She'll probably wins round, win rounds one and three, but I, I think Barber has a real shot here. And, and if I saw Barber as like a plus 150, I would definitely take that pick as well. Uh, I think she's got the skills to win this. I'm just not sure she's going to execute. Yep, more or less on the same page there. Yes, sir. Um, next up, Nikolai, I am going to take, I'm going to go ahead and take Derek Minner to beat Darren Elkins. I think you're right there. Yeah. Elkins has been relying like basically on his durability, on his heart and his gas tank for most of his career, right? 37, he's not quite as durable and kind of fighting the next generation of contenders now, right? He was on a four fight losing streak, uh, losing skid before picking up a win over Garagori, who's basically a one dimensional striker. And it's like, Best case scenario matchup wise for Elkins. 
Minner is usually very dangerous for about three minutes, goes for just nonstop offensive explosive strikes and submissions, and then he usually gets tired and his opponent takes over if he can't finish. The thing is, a lot of the time he does finish. Um, his last fight, though, after teaming up with James Krause and Gloria MMA, he managed his energy well and dominated uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt Charles Rosa on the ground for three rounds, like completely one-sided uh, domination. But he was still super aggressive and super fast with the stand-up, which concerns me, right? If he can't get takedowns, will he expend too much energy standing up? Um, he either pushes forward or counters with multi-push combos, right? Every single thing he throws is like three or four extremely fast uh, shots, not always the best technique, but not the worst either. Not a whole lot of kicking to his game. Um, I like Minner here. The Darren Elkins from four years ago would have put the pressure on Minner and made him look uh, work so hard that the fight will be Elkins by the end of the first round. It's still possible that that can happen. But given Minner's BJJ advantage and power advantage standing, that and the mileage of Elkins, I'm taking Minner as long as James Krause has a good game plan uh, for him. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know where Elkins stands on his contract, but I just don't think he's a UFC guy at this point. He's yep. take on this fight. Um, how many we got left? Two. We got two fights Three. left, Nick. One pick a piece. Gosh, I wish I wish that Imavov was a little bit. I wish that he was just a little bit higher of a dog, so I could get that get those points. Yeah, I know. There's not enough value. I know what you mean. But I, I think he's a live dog in that fight for sure. Uh, I'm not gonna have too much. Yeah, that should be complete pick em. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, I'm going to take him anyway. I'm going to take I'm involved against Ian Heinisch. I think, I, I, you know, Heinisch is good all around, but I think he's going to get sniped by the Russian sniper here. I mean, there's a chance he, you know, that he's, that he's I, I don't think Imavov is that, he's like particularly easy to take down. Um, and, but Heinish was a game opponent against Gastelum, just an inferior one. But I, I just yeah, but Gastelum's a freaking different yeah, level. Yeah, I know. Skill I still, wins. huh? I mean, he usually loses to bigger, stronger wrestlers. But I, I I'm gonna go with him. Uh, yeah, if you look at his uh, win and loss list, uh, he beats like those Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Mirachart, Carlos Jr., Ferreira, Brunson, Ahmedov, and Calvin Gastelum were able to uh, do, have their way with him. Yeah, but he's fighting a—I mean, he's fighting a kickboxer here, like a right, a real, you know, a real striker, and a guy that had Phil Hawes on uh, on Silly Street late in their fight, didn't he? Yeah, once Hawes was exhausted, yes. But early on, Hawes, uh, I think Hawes basically had his way in the first round. It was just he got exhausted yeah, having But Heinish is nothing like the explosive monster that Hawes is early on. Like, Heinish is not that kind of fighter. I I think no. the lack... Although he does have power in his hands, and he has good offensive wrestling. He has really fair. good offensive wrestling. That's my, you know, that's my concern. Oh, God, this, I'm hemming and hawing on this one. Ugh. It is tough because Ian Heinich has a much better gas tank than Hawes. Um, but is he a, as good of a wrestler? No, but not like super far off. And he's not as athletic as Hawes. Oh, no, he's pretty athletic. He's pretty fast, pretty uh, pretty strong physically, Ian Heinich is. This has split decision all over it with like a bunch of the fight contested against the against yeah. the fence. And it's like, is Imovov going yeah. to get off enough offense? Is the sniper going to snipe enough? <sighs> 
I mean, the thing about Imavo is, I I guess he did tra- he did was trying to win that fight. It's just like I'd like to see him fight with a bit more urgency and killer instinct. Urgency, yeah, yeah, especially against an exhausted opponent. That's a fair point. I haven't rewatched that fight actually, but that's a good. Even point. against the Jordan in the Jordan Williams fight, there were times when I thought he could have he could have put it on a little bit a little bit more. Um, oh, I hear that. Oh mm-hmm. God, I really don't know who to pick in this fight. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Heinish actually, strictly strictly based on the fact that time spent against the cage yeah, and time spent on the um, ground does not favor him above. Imovov is super skilled, super slick just about everywhere. Um, it's tacked with a headbutt by Jordan Williams early on. And, like, it's not a really a question of his chin. I, I think his chin is pretty solid, although he was hurt again by Jordan Williams yes. later in the fight. Jordan Williams, heavy, heavy hitter. Um, well, he, was, he was hurt by Hawes, too, but Hawes hits like a truck. True, right? yeah. Yeah, they, they both do. Um, and Heinich has shown that, like, one-shot knockout power a couple times in the UFC as well. Um, I seems to me like the wrestling dynamic and athleticism is what decides whether or not Heinich wins a fight. I think Imovov is pretty athletic and should be good enough to avoid takedowns, score one or two of his own possibly, um, because Heinrich's takedown defense is not good as his offense. He's also going to be the better stand-up fighter. I'm going to go with Imovov because I think, like, worst case, if they're in the clinch, it'll be give or take even, and Imovov, I'm I'm hoping, spends a little more time standing and, and kind of snipering him. But you're right. This is a split decision all, all over. There's a reason. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not confident. Yeah. There's a reason it's so low yeah. on the list, right? So yeah, I'm, I I do hear that. So this is actually the first. I think it's the first fight we disagree on, Nick. Yeah, we don't, and we don't really disagree on it. Yeah, not 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 with any conviction. We're both just like sure. we're both. Our ta- the takeaway in this fight is who the fuck knows? Agreed. But but I am excited to see it. I think this is a great matchup because Imbovov is either going to bust into that top 15, 17 territory, uh, or Heinrich is going to keep the gate, and maybe that's not the worst position for Heinrich. I'm gonna I'm gonna take I think in the Deanna Belbita Hannah Goldie matchup. Pretty low-level matchup. Belbita's 0-2 in the UFC, and Goldie is 0-1. Given Belbita's low fight IQ, I'll take Goldie to win a kind of a boring point fight using her footwork to stay away and and scoring with the occasional, like, distance strike that looks like it's semi-land. So not, you know, this is the, by far, lowest-level matchup uh, that that this card has in particular because this card has some really high-level fighters. Not looking forward to watching this one, but um, I'm looking forward to winning it, Nikolai. Hopefully that works out for me. Yeah, all right. Well, it's fine. Then I'm going with Goldie, cool. too. <laughs> Real strong feelings on that one. Um, so let me quickly run through our picks. My first pick was Sajara Eubanks to beat Elise Reed. Second, I took Adrian Yanez to get the win over Randy Costa. My third pick was Aspen Ladd to beat Macy Chazon. Fourth, I took Punaele Soriano to beat Brendan Allen. My fifth pick was Derek Minner to beat Darren Elkins. And um, and then I took uh, Hannah Goldie over Diana Belbita because I had no choice but to pick that fight. Your first pick, Nick, was Kyler Phillips to beat Julian Paiva. Second, you took Julio Ars to beat Andre Ewell. Your third pick was Jordan Williams over Mickey Gal. Fourth, you took Corey Sanhagen in the main event to beat TJ Dillashaw by knockout. I think you and I both agree that that's probably how that's going to end, given Dillashaw's durability issues lately. And um, and your fifth pick was Miranda Maverick over Macy Barber. Sixth, you took, you took Heinich. Nick, that'll do it for this card. I am excited that we get this one, first of all, on the early side on Saturday. I don't mind that one bit. Um, what's coming up on the UFC schedule, Nick? Let me check. We have UFC Fight Night, Hall versus Strickland. Pretty good main event. Strickland at 185, 23-3. Hall, more of a kind of a high-level gatekeeper who's on quite a streak now. Duho Choi versus Danny Chavez. Interested in that matchup. Some pretty interesting, exciting strikers. Duho Choi making a comeback after, I think, a couple of years in the Korean Army or something. 
Montana De La Rosa, who was the first flyweight champion going against uh, Yana and Wu. Um, Honey, yeah, yeah. Montana De La Rosa was not the first. Montana De La Rosa was not the first flyweight champion. I'm sorry, did I say Montel? Nico Montano. Nico Montano was. <laughs> did I say Montana De La Rosa? I definitely meant Nico Montano. Yeah, and, yeah, and Nico is the one that's uh, fighting Yana and Wu. It's weird, Nick. I'm looking at the UFC like schedule. Like it's only showing me like seven fights, and this is going happening. Oh my God! Wait a minute. Ashley Yoder against Jin Frey is like those are two absolutely gorgeous fighters yeah um, um yeah, yes they are pretty and then they are like semi-successful at best interesting to see which one pulls through there yeah nothing nothing exciting coming up the week after next but this week uh sanhagen versus dillashaw i'm super psyched for it oh god yeah this card this card is a mess this is a 15 fight card with like almost no fights that i feel like i need to see chris Dawkins against jamil I'm into that. Yeah. yeah i'm definitely into that one right uh maybe I mean, is is Sam, is Sam Alvey versus Roman Kapilov the, the co-main event? It's probably Sam Alvey's in the co-main event of a card in 2021. Uh, yeah, I mean, he still has some name value, even though he's like on a giant losing streak. How does that? Ha- no, he should. Uh, nothing against smiling Sam, but like co-main event. I agree, Nick. Just real quick, I'm looking at the Bellator card on the same night. Pitbull. Versus Antonio McKee. Oh, I'm sorry, AJ McKee, who is Antonio McKee's son. Nick, he is 17 and 0. This kid, really dynamic. Not his father at all. Um, facing Patricio Pitbull for the title. That is serious shit. Mads Burnell, who, in my opinion, should have stayed in the UFC, who is absolutely a top uh, 145 pounder. Facing Emmanuel Sanchez, who's a, who's a Bellator mainstay, a kind of a high level gatekeeper. We got Usman Nurmagomedov, who I believe is Khabib's cousin or brother or something like that, uh, fighting uh, Brent Primus, who beat Michael Chandler, is fighting Islam Mamedov, who's 19 and 1. He bet, he bet Chandler twice, didn't he? And he's fighting another, yeah, he's fighting a Dagestani fighter. Uh, no, he, he lost to Chandler by decision by getting a grapple the second time, but he did uh, beat him with calf kicks the first time. Oh, uh, Nick, I, I'm going to tell you right now. Between these two events, there are probably like 10 fights worth seeing. Maybe you and I, maybe you and I will, I don't know, include Bellator in next week's preview instead of some of these like no names in the UFC card. We'll see. We'll talk. We'll negotiate. Yeah, maybe. I mean, then we've got what's coming up after that. Uh, all right. Then you got UFC 265. We got, God, I mean, Don coming back fast. That's, I mean, that's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot to see on that card. I, I mean, Michael Chiesa, Vincente Luque, boom. Uh, Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Nunes, Juliana Pena, not so much. Derek Lewis, Nunes, Cyril Gaon. That's going to be right? a hold, hold, hold your breath and see what happens. You got Tisha Torres against Angela Hill. This new, you got the tiny tornado uh, who seems to be revitalized against you know Angela Hill, who's peaking and is really, really strong. Oh my gosh, you got a ring. You got a fight between between female fighters that used to be contenders that are falling. Fallen far. Uh, in order to come back in the last one. Uh, Raphael Vizia. 